0: To Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer a heretic. I'm your host, Matthew J. DiStefano, and for the next hour, I'll be your Sherpa to nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Nowhere in particular. Hey, what's good, y'all? I hope you're having a great day. It is raining here in Northern California. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus above. We must have made the right sacrifice. Had an altar that was prepared and a fatted calf because uh, we're finally getting some rain, which means we are officially out of fire season. I'm, I'm hoping. God have mercy if we're still in fire season, but I think, I think we're good to go. And, um, so I'm enjoying a nice Sunday late morning it's Monday or later if you're listening to this but here it's Sunday it's it's nice I'm having a, a cup of green tea I'm about I'm about to call my friend Mike morell you may know him uh, from the Divine dance a uh I think it was on the New York Times bestselling list a bunch of other best-selling lists he wrote it with uh, none other than father Richard Rohr I know you've heard of him um, so we're gonna give him a call here shortly. And this is gonna be another one of those episodes where you're not gonna hear as much from me because I'm on this run where I've uh, I've wanted to get some guests and uh, talk to some people that I know. And so um, yeah, I've just been rolling with that. And uh, don't worry, I'll get back to being a narcissist and and, and hearing myself talk for 45 minutes. But uh, I want <laughs> I wanted to step aside and uh, hear from some other folks. So we're going we're gonna to call him in just a moment here, and I know it's going to be a good conversation. You're going to want to check that out, uh, because Mike is, I, res- I, I respect him and his opinion as much as uh, anyone out there. So it's been good to get to know him over the years, and uh, we've had him on the Heretic Happy Hour, and now now he's on the Apostates Anonymous. So uh, huge shout out to Mike, and uh, can't wait to give you a call here shortly. But before we do, just a word from uh, what I'm considering to be the sponsor of this show and indeed the sponsor of everything I do because without my Patreon community, I don't produce shit, nothing, not a zilch, not a fucking thing. So I have, uh, we're approaching 100 Patreon supporters which means I have promised to be able to, well, you know what? I've already jumped the gun. I already said I'd go full-time content creating if I got to 100 uh, supporters. But COVID has made it to where I don't get to work as much anymore. My daughter's home doing distance learning. So I'm really, I'm grinding full-time almost anyway. So we've got Apostates Anonymous. I'm back on Patheos. I am writing the follow-up to Heretic, which is going to be called Apostate. I have written a book with Michelle that is in the works. It's going to be pu- uh, published soon. I've got the Bonfire Sessions continuing to come out. I've got the Genesis of Violence with Zach Parsons coming out. Who knows when, but sometime. Um, so I'm, I'm going hard. So if you want to jump on that community, you want to support me with either a dollar a month or more, patreon.com slash MJ The link will be in the show notes. Now, without further ado, Let's see if we can't get a hold of Mike Morrell. Hello. Hey, Mike. How are
1: you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Matt?
0: I'm good. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call today. Um, what's new with you?
1: Oh man, just. Um all kinds of end-of-year work with some uh, really cool clients and getting my my own creative house in order, hoping that uh, 2021 will be a little bit different than this past year.
0: Yeah, I... Um... <laughs> I laugh at the people who are like twenty twenty one couldn't get worse, and I'm like, please stop saying that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes, shit could get worse. Please don't don't yeah. push it. I'm yeah. To quote Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, <laughs> just a
1: little. Yeah, I was saying that to a friend last night. Uh, we were talking about. Uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, you know, next year is gonna be better." I said, "Or we could be looking at this year as the good old days. Remember when we only had one pandemic going on?"
0: yeah i I really um for a while it got a little ridiculous there like every every bombastic thing was some breaking news story like murder hornets, yep and then there's like this new virus that I don't even remember what now there's yep. so much that has happened yep um you know, there's like a coup going on <laughs> i don't I can't even keep up with it anymore,
1: yeah I mean at least it's getting a little amusing lately with the the weird monoliths that are appearing in different parts of the world and then disappearing.
0: Yeah, what do you what do you think about that? Your 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 10-second thoughts on that. Do you have I mean obviously the natural um, assumption is that it's a prank.
1: Right, some kind of art installation. I mean, that's probably, Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's probably it. I wish it were something a little more interesting. And I think apparently the one that was in California recently, they caught on um, They recorded it being destroyed by some weird, racist, fundamentalist Christian group that somehow saw it as an affront to their God. So, you know, that's disappointing. Oh,
0: God. Do you think that that kind of plays into the um, like kind of victim persecuted complex that predominantly white evangelicals have
1: it really shouldn't but it probably does somehow and it's just ironic to me because you know the the, what the monolith stands for in like 2001 a space odyssey which i first encountered actually through a comic book adaptation by jack kirby who's one of my heroes in terms of a comic creator and he did this whole different spin on it creating this character called Machine Man, that was a robot created by the government that gained sentience and was more human than his creators. And, you know, to me, it, it represents the possibility of this encounter with something very, you know, humane and transcendent and accelerationist. And so when I heard that these fundy Christians were, you know, tearing it down in California, I was like, man, that's a metaphor.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I don't know if that's a good segue into what I wanted to talk to you about. But it has to do with creating content. And you, you yourself are a content creator. I am I am one as well. Yes. And for anyone who has created content or has tried to uh, disseminate their content around the world, it can be a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to I mean, you brought up the when we were talking about what should we talk about? Before we hit record, you kind of came up with that idea. And I was like, ah, that's brilliant. Um, So what, what what's your struggle been and and maybe I don't even know how you want to kick that off, but uh, talk about your process of creating content and kind of the the struggles you've you've uh, come across.
1: Sure, you know, as you know the struggles are many ranging from, you know, time management to the perceptions of others, especially if you're a, you know, quote unquote spiritual content creator, then people can have, you know, objections or everything like, why do you charge for the stuff? To um, ah oh, man, you're just so opportunistic, like what what why are you always constantly, you know, selling yourself. So I think there's a lot of you know, kind of bogus perceptions out there around, you know, cr- consistently creating content. And then there's also, you know, the practical struggle, the discouragements, uh, you know, maybe what I'm I'm creating isn't reaching who I want it to be and why does it seem to be so easy for so-and-so but such a grind for me. And, you know, I would say that starting starting in college, starting in undergrad, I kind of stumbled into being a, a creator, a content creator, originally it was me and my college roommate, and we were on GeoCities to kind of date myself a little bit. Right? We're talking, okay. We're talking turn of the century here, and um, we created this website called Sites Unseen, and it was a directory of alternative Christian websites. And I defined alternative by pretty much whatever tickled my fancy that was different than the sort of Bible Belt uh, evangelical Christianity that I grew up on. So it was the very early stages of what later became known as the emerging church. It was certainly the um, the house church movement, which I was really involved in at the time. It was Christian mystics, Christian universalists, and it was a directory of, um, of websites, blogs as they were first starting to come out intentional communities, congregations, you name it. And it was, you know, organized in all these different subcategories. And it was just an obsession. There was absolutely no thought toward monetization. I was, you know, I was in college, didn't need it to be at the time, really. And, um, you know, It became one of the largest hand-edited links directories on the internet, period. It was like 10,000 links uh, at the end of the day that like we hand-coded uh, each and every one of them. There was no sort of automatic formatting or anything. And it was just this one giant unwieldy page. But people found each other through it. People found uh, communities in their locality that they didn't think could have existed, and people felt a little less alone. So we started getting emails from people, both nominating their weird website for our directory. Some of them were truly weird in ways that we didn't necessarily <laughs> want to promote. Um, but, uh, and then other people were just writing to thank us for like, hey, we're, we just realized we're not the only crazy one out there. This is really great. And, and then a weird thing happened. You know, after I, right after I graduated from college, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution looked me up, a journalist, and he wanted to write an article about me and this website. And he rather bombastically titled it "The Tie That Binds the Emerging Church." Mike Morrell, and it was like, wow, that's that's quite a status. <laughs> yeah, it really was. You know, because that was that was when the emerging conversation was in full swing. Actually, that that article came out in two thousand four, which I consider to be a pivot year from when it became a really productive in house conversation. Only among those who were interested in having the conversation to being this thing that was spotlighted by heresy hunters after Christianity Today that same year also wrote a feature article called The Emergent Mystique. Um, Mm. But uh, nonetheless, that, that gave me this whole boost in visibility. And it was right after college when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I had been a journalism major and I imagined myself being this like, you know, hard hitting investigative reporter. I loved writing, that's what I wanted to do, but I also was wanting to get married and start a family. And what I realized at the time, or at least it was my perception at the time, was that, you know, if I was going to get started an entry level journalism, I would have to start working at the lowest rung of a small town paper, perhaps for years and make the equivalent of minimum wage. And it was like, oh, man, I just can't make the economics of that work. And so, you know, in the meantime, I got retail jobs working at both um, Barnes and Noble in my college town and then Borders bookstore, the late great Borders chain uh, in my hometown where my, you know, where I grew up in, where my parents live. And during that whole time, though, I started like developing panic attacks and generalized anxiety because I was like, how am I going to make ends meet? And this isn't very fulfilling either. I mean, it was fulfilling in a way, working in a bookstore. It was great as far as retail goes, but, you know, also not like this great economic future. And so... I realized, it's like, well, I do have these certain skills, and I, I have this passion for writing, I have this passion for the publishing world in general, and connecting to readers. And around that time, I received a bit of advice, and I, I wish I can credit who it came from, because I don't remember if I read it, or if someone told it to me in a conversation, or if I just heard it. But the idea was like, the analogy was like, suppose you want to start a band, and you want to be a, music, a professional working musician, you want to make it big as, as a musician, fantastic. You should absolutely go for it. But if you're also passionate about music, you should also maybe um, learn a little bit about sound mixing and open up a, a recording studio, because then you can get paid also helping other people attempt to reach their dreams. You can learn a lot about the industry you love, and um, and you know and and get and set yourself up for every success individually as well and And that's what I chose to do. I said, well, you know that makes a lot of sense. and so I started going to publishers trade shows and connecting with um, with publishing houses initially as uh, wanting to do freelance editing. and then eventually I, I realized that like with my skills of a, as a journalist, I could go over to the you know so-called dark side of marketing as well. And, uh, and, and, and use my skills for good. I could, you know, work with authors, publishers, spiritual movements that I believed in, and give them at least some of the same benefits that the, you know, Joel Osteen's and Joyce Myers and big evangelical industrial complex people have with all their marketing muscle behind them. Because, you know, frankly, Evangelicals and and Pentecostals invented uh, Christian mass media in you know previous decades. You know people like Oral Roberts and Pat Robertson pioneered you know having religion on television in a way that the older Protestant hour and mainliners just couldn't compete with. It was like you know the difference between C-SPAN and Disney World. So I didn't want to be cheesy like that, but I did want to say, hey, you know there are all these voices. Out there, um, within progressive Christianity, within contemplative uh, Christianity, that are not getting the benefit of being heard, and they're they're taking all this time to write books and you know put their heart and soul into their work, but not enough people are are hearing about them. So I started to look at how I might be able to amplify those voices, and you know begin also working on what later became Speakeasy. You know this way of of connecting really good authors with with reviewers and podcasters, people who are interested in talking about these kinds of ideas, like you would at a speakeasy uh, you know, during the Prohibition where you gather not just for news, right. but for community. And so, you know, kind of taking that analogy of, of opening a recording studio and not just trying to make it as a band, um, that's what I've done. And and you know, there's a there's a cost to it as well. Like I, I look at, at someone like you and you are are solely, it seems to me at least, Focus on putting your own material out there, and as a result, you're like way more prolific with your own um, writing and podcasting and content than I have been. There's there's a little bit of a trade off for me in that I am, you know, amplifying all of these other voices, but I also still get to do my own writing, and, and sometimes that that really catches fire, and it's been a lot of fun.
0: Do you find that um, that being kind of straddling the fence between putting out your own stuff and then kind of being a, 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 a amplifying the voice of others is a healthy balance for you. Because I know for me, like I do, I, I am pretty prolific. I know some people like Keith Giles who may put out more than I do, but, but those people are few and far between and I'm not going to start doing cocaine. Um, yeah. yeah do you find it's a good, yeah, I'm just kidding. That was a joke, Keith. Um <laughs> I, because th- th- that that grind that I get involved in does wear me down, but I don't know any other way. Do you find that it's helpful to have that balance for you?
1: Um, it it is helpful in the sense that it, it keeps me humble. It gives me perspective. I don't think that I can say everything that needs to be said out there, and I am just amazed by you know some of the authors and 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 speakers and idea leaders that I get to work with. It it's not it's not great for my personal productivity because. You know for me, creativity is creativity, so whether I'm setting up a marketing campaign or writing a blog post of my own, it kind of utilizes that same creative juice and so once I'm done for the day, I'm done doesn't matter yeah. you know if I've been working on it for another person or for myself, but yeah. you know being a you know a householder being a you know husband and father with with bills to pay it does create. Um, you know, a certain consistency in my income that I see some of my friends who are solely putting out their own stuff, you know, not always maybe reaching their, their practical goals that they also need to reach. So, uh, you know, I, I am fine with the trade-off thus far. One thing
0: I wish people understood about creatives and creati- creativity in general, and I and I've gotten this a lot. Uh, well, you know, just just work full time and then when you're done, get to the creative part. And and I wish what people understood is that yep. you have to be in a certain head space and heart space yes. to create anything. I don't care if you're creating comics, you're doing what David Hayward's doing. If you're writing books, you're creating films like Kevin Miller, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, yep. you need the creative energy and the bandwidth at the end of the day. So it, yes. it is hard to find to strike that balance of practicality. You know, uh, electric bills do, um, you know, all this stuff is, is due, but at the same time, you know, balance that creative out. Al- I mean, I think we're all supposed to be creative, um, yeah. maybe some more than others, but, uh, you know, it's hard to find that balance.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, some people seem to be absolutely able to do that where they can, you know, have a day job and then I don't, they're just heroes of, of time management to me, like, well, I wake up at four in the morning to do my writing before I have to leave for my job at six a.m. <laughs> and then I, and then yeah. I'm also working on my degree, <laughs> and I'm Father of the Year or Mother of the Year. I'm like, well, how how in the world do you you pull that off? And you know, as much as it might be a little ch- challenging for me to switch between you know doing the working on say a marketing campaign and then doing my own writing, to, it's a way more easy transition than if I also had to. Manage an external job, you know. For better or worse, I realized even working those retail jobs that there were just ways in which that didn't jibe with me. It just didn't agree with my system. And you know, I, I know it's privileged uh, to be able to <coughs> to do otherwise, but you know, creating my own business um, ended up being the path for me. Do you find
0: that a part of the struggle of creatives? is that there is so much stuff that is expected to be free, especially in the religious or spirituality world. And do you think some of that stems from the fact that there are so many hucksters <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to get, trying to, you know, with, with $6 million airplanes and, and, yeah. you know, congregates being, uh, you know, shook down at the start and the end of, of, a sermon and people coming out of that. Yes. And then kind of being leery about mm-hmm. anyone who's trying to make, ends me as yep an author or a creative.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you said it. I think you've said it right there, you know. And it's interesting. One time I was uh, at an event and a, a fellow speaker was somebody from that world and, you know, used to have these like massive revival meetings and he was like very transparent. He's like, man, that revival was such good business. We, we pulled down like, I don't know, $10 million a month or something ridiculous like that. And he's like, now I'm, you know, hustling online and doing social media and stuff. But man, that was, that you know, 12 years ago, that was the stuff when we sold DVDs. And and I think that unfortunately people like that, yeah, do make it more difficult for the rest of us, If especially if our primary, um, you know, people we connect to are folks who, we're burned out in that kind of evangelical yeah. or charismatic or Pentecostal faith where there, yeah, there's like this high pressure shakedown during your entire, what's supposed to be a, a worship gathering. And, um, yeah, that, and, and also I think there's a, it can be, um, I don't know if I want to call it classism or, or what, but m- most people, when they encounter my, you know, marketing online, they're like, this feels really good. This is, straightforward, it's obvious that you know you're you're doing something you're being paid for, but it's obvious you also care about it. It doesn't feel high pressure. Most people, if they even think to comment on how I market, say positive things. But there's a minority of people who are like, you know, especially I think in the mystical or contemplative world, who kind of it's it's sort of a almost like a quietism where they think that, hey, if you're just doing what you're supposed to do, it's all just gonna drop from the tree and, and fall into your lap. And and those folks are kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, you seem like you're you're doing a lot of self promotion, and the reason why I say it could be classist in a way is they might follow these contemplative writers that have you know daily meditations emails and really fine tuned um, marketing apparatus that the teacher themselves never touches. So they're you know, as far as the at least the public perceives, those spiritual teachers are just you know attending to their prayer life and are, you know, just sharing out of the abundance of their heart. And it just sort of magically ends up reaching, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. But the reality is those people have a staff that handles that, mm-hmm. like an entire team that handles that. And so, yes, I'm the same guy putting together my email newsletter and sending it out as I am creating the content. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not quite a one-man show. I do have a couple assistants I work with, and they're they're awesome. But, you know, but for the most part, comparatively, um, you know, one man operation, whereas their favorite spiritual teacher has an entire staff, so they get to look more spiritual and hands off. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like this stuff doesn't just happen on its own, it's going to happen one way or another. And I wish more people understood that.
0: Yeah, true. That so, um, I want to shift gears just a little bit, if you don't mind, and mm-hmm. talk about a book that you co authored with, uh, None other than Richard Rohr. Uh, it was. <laughs> yes. Is this is this news to you? Am I am I mistaking you with someone else?
1: Yeah. Um, you're Mistaking me with the um, the former and, and and about to be um, CIA director <clears throat> Mike Morrell. That, that Biden's about to to appoint the CIA. That was the co oh, it's Is, the, the co-wrote is
0: his guy. name Mike Morell? I see a meme coming down the pike.
1: <laughs> there 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 was several years ago when he was interim director. Someone actually did literally create a meme, but I think there... <laughs> and in fact, just as an aside and we'll totally get to the divine dance, but Sometimes when I'm posting political content online, um, angry, like far right people who have no idea who I am think that I am the former CIA director who has to (laughs) serve in Democrat uh, Democrat, um, administrations. And they're like, well, you're really biased to say that because you're all up Hillary's butt, blah, blah, blah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And I
1: usually just play right along with it. I'm like, shh, don't tell people that I moonlight as the spirituality guy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's great you got to have fun with those kind of people i I have found that with all the trolls out there um especially now that i'm back on patheos i forgot how many trolls are out there and um
1: yeah yeah you just have to
0: have fun with it otherwise you're going to burn out
1: quick absolutely absolutely yeah
0: yeah, so how did, how did this book, The Divine Dance, come about? And uh, what was the process of, of writing? I've written, I've co authored a book, but it was with my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also, I've also co authored a book that's coming out with Michelle Collins, who has become a really, really good friend. And we did it mm-hmm. one way. But I'm curious as to how you and, and Richard wrote this book together and how
1: it came about. Yeah, I mean, well, of course, Richard and I are best friends. I mean, at least you know he considers me his best friend. Sometimes I'm not quite sure how I feel about the the relationship.
0: <laughs> oh, shots fired! Woo. <laughs> and I and I know he listens to this show.
1: So. Oh yeah, I mean he, he hangs on your every word. He he tells me that when he texts uh, me every night. So you know,
0: I I know that. Um, I actually, funny thing, I do have his number. Oh, so, well, there you go. Claim to. Claim, patting myself on the back here.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's like having, you know, the president having the nuclear missile codes. Congratulations. <laughs> You're like, I will use this in case of an emergency. That's a right. ritual emergency. Yes,
0: yes, which is daily. I text him daily.
1: <laughs> You're like, I need your personal daily meditation, Richard. <laughs> Specifically for me. (laughs) The one that goes out to everyone else, the other 400,000 people, not good enough. No. Uh, No, only kidding. Uh, Richard and I are not BFF, but he's awesome. Um, So we – how did I get started on that? Well, you know, and I think that this ties into our our earlier conversation in that, you know, sometimes when people seem to be a quote-unquote overnight success – it's really something that's often a decade or more in the making. You know, It's not any one right. particular action. It's the culmination of, of a bunch of different actions. So you know, to, to stretch back to the beginning of my story, I created this links directory, got in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and around that time, I was also the links editor for a website that existed at the time called theooze.com. And The Ooze was uh, subtitled Conversations for the Journey. And it was this clearinghouse for people co- talking about the intersection of post-modernity and Christianity. So in an era before blogs really existed, this was a place where people from ranging from like uh, Brian McLaren to uh, this woman, Karen Ward, to even Mark Driscoll, would all submit articles to The Ooze for consideration. And then, you know, in an era before social media was really a thing, there was just this rocking message board where, you know, people created their colorful aliases and, you know, debated and discussed all kinds of things. So I worked with the Ooze, and the Ooze put on this gathering every 18 months to two years or so called solarize a learning party soul spelled S O U L
0: of course. uh, (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) It's this very, very West coast vibe. Um, you know, the creator of, of the whole thing, Spencer Burke, uh, you know, was, was a lovely MC of these kinds of gatherings. And so Spencer, I, I, I give him credit for, in some ways, discovering Richard, quote unquote, in the late '90s, in terms of um, a sort of questioning evangelical audience, like he Spencer was into uh, Catholic contemplatives before it was cool. Like he collected first edition Thomas Merton books and was into Thomas Keating and centering prayer, and then he discovered Richard in the in the late '90s, who was already a superstar in in the Catholic world, but most Protestants, most evangelicals, had never heard of him. But he started having Richard out to his Solarizes, even before I connected with with the Ooze, back in like 98, I think, was the first one that Richard appeared in. And by the time I was working um, with Solarize, we had a gathering in, hmm, was it 2005 or 2007? I forget. I think 2007. It was one of the last ones that happened. And and Father Richard was one of our headliners, and it was actually in the Bahamas. So it was um, it was Richard, it was Brennan Manning, it was N.T. Wright, um, Rita Brock, who's this amazing church historian. and then- Oh, Rita
0: Na- Nakashima Brock, right?
1: Yes, correct. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, yeah. We just had her on Heretic Apiar. Here. She was great.
1: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And all these interesting folks, Michael Dowd, thank God for evolution, Frank Viola from the house church world. It was such an eclectic lineup. And it was also almost there was almost nobody there. It was like maybe a hundred people, and it's because it was in the Bahamas, and two things were going against us. One is that the passport requirement was just changed for the first time. Americans needed a passport to go to the Bahamas, and so some people who were planning on going couldn't get their passports in time. Secondly. Uh, jerky church boards would see that their pastor wanted to go to a conference in the Bahamas, and they decided that was too good for them, and they weren't going to actually pay for their their ministers to uh, to go out to solarize, even though it was just as economic as it would have been if it was in Idaho or something. It actually wasn't that expensive, so. As a consequence, we had this amazing event with an amazing lineup. Hardly anyone there, and especially those of us who were organizers got to spend a decent amount of personal time with the you know contributor, the main the main speakers. And so, I met and got to know uh, Richard a bit there at Solarize. He actually um, introduced us to the Enneagram that weekend. I was not familiar with it beforehand, and he was the first person that typed me uh, on the Enneagram. So. So wow. that was, yeah it was 2007 um fast forward a few more years i i was involved in helping start the wild goose festival you know a large justice art spirituality right. festival that happens in in north carolina and richard was a huge part of the early years of wild goose before he kind of semi retired from traveling so you know we we continued to be in touch through that so between knowing him you know in in that sense through through events And also working in publishing, one of my friends in publishing, uh, actually for a charismatic publishing house, Whitaker House, was like, I would really like to publish a book of Richard's. Um, He would, my friend Don Milam, he's been a mentor and a friend throughout my whole life, works in charismatic publishing, reads far more broadly than that. And when his wife passed away from cancer a number of years back, he read, I want to say it was uh, Falling Upward, uh, spirituality uh-huh. in the second half of life, and really found you know some some solace in those words, and and just wanted to publish Richard. And coincidentally, at the time, I really wanted to ghostwrite a book for Richard about the Trinity, because you know I was listening to these conferences that he recorded a few years prior to that, and I just thought they were brilliant. And it reminded me of the spirituality of the Shack, which I helped launch, and that sort of vision of of the Trinity is, you know, God as community who is inviting all of cosmos, all of, all of creation into this, this dance, this, this sense yeah. of inter, inter interbeing and, and relationship. Yeah. And so, um, at the time, one of the conferences that was held was also featured Cynthia Bourgeau. And she was speaking on the Trinity and, and her raw material from that book, she ended up, you know, migrating it into a book called the Holy Trinity and the law of three, which is just this brilliant book. And I thought, Richard needs a Trinity book, too, because he's got a lot of good stuff to say about this. And at the time, I thought he regularly used ghostwriters because, you know, there would be a conference one year falling upward, and then the next year a book would come out. And to me, that's usually a tell that someone is working with conference, you know, transcripts and turning it into a book. So when my friend Don wanted to publish Richard, I didn't think I was asking anything out of the ordinary when I approached him and said, hey, I would love to, you know, ghostwrite uh, a book based on your shape of God conference and your divine dance conference. You know, we can put them together and, and do a book on the Trinity. And, and he told me, he's like, Oh, he said, you know, I actually don't usually work with ghost writers. He's like, I find that I'm, I end up not really loving what they do and I have to end up like rewriting everything. Uh, he's like, but I like you, uh, you know, give, give us a few sample, give me a few sample chapters and we'll see. So with that, uh, went back to Whitaker House, gave him the good news. They greenlit the project. We ordered transcripts. I worked on a few sample chapters. He, you know, really appreciated what I did with them. He said, "Yes, let's do it." And how we collaborated was, um, you know, mostly over email. So I, I worked with raw transcripts and was, um, you know, work, working on the material from there, but translating it from the spoken word into written form, and. I guess I was pretty free with how I was, you know, translating it. I wasn't trying to get a word-for-word a word, uh, roar translation, you know, to, to borrow from the Bible translation world. I was doing more dynamic equivalents than word-for-word. Uh, than word. And because I'm, you know, something of a Trinity geek myself, I was doing some of my own research and, you know, Supplementing with different quotes and and some of my own thoughts, and because I knew he was going to look over it again, if there was anything you know that he hated or was unrepresentative, he would take it out, and that's fine. Well, very generously, uh, in the process, he felt like I contributed enough original content to the book that he wanted me to to get a front cover collaborative credit uh, for for my work on it. And that just, you know, really meant a lot to me. Because I, I have also ghostwritten books in the past that, you know, completely anonymously <laughs> for writers who were not nearly as prominent as uh, as Father Richard. So, yeah, it, it was really cool when he was like, yeah, no, I want you to, to get uh, front cover attribution. So so yeah, I, I worked on an initial draft of the entire manuscript, sent it to him. He, you know, then freely wrote, you know, more material himself, sent it back to me and, and I kinda went through it one final time was the essence of our collaborative process. And I would occasionally fly out there, not even necessarily to work on the book solely, but the other events, you know, CAC conferences Sam Center for Action and Contemplation conferences, or, you know, my friend Gareth Higgins, who I started Wild Goose with, he had movies and meaning out there for a couple of years, this, this sort of spirituality and film festival in Albuquerque. Now it happens in, in Asheville. But so I would go out there some and, and we would meet face to face some and kind of discuss progress on things. But um, it was a lot of fun. You know, I got to work on it. Not only from the writing side, but also from the book launch side, I got to work with uh, Richard's organization and create a, a coherent book launch strategy that I thought, you know, could even propel a book on the Trinity to the bestseller lists, given you know the the readership that Richard has earned over the years. And and I was right; we hit five different bestseller lists, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Man, it's just so cool to hear how things come together because you never really know. I mean you just know, oh yeah. Mike morell and, and and Richard Rohr put this book out together, The Divine Dance. Sounds cool. Um <laughs> you, you have a Protestant background, right? And yeah. yep. and, and he has uh you know a kind of desert mystic Catholic background. Okay, yeah. how's this going to come together? And yep. You know, but then to hear the actual it's like, oh man, it's just it's just so cool how creatives come together. And I don't know, I don't know if it's like Divine Providence or a coincidence or whatever it is. It's just cool to hear the story of how things come together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, it's also, you know, asking you know, when people say, how did you come to write a book with, with Richard Rohr? You know, the, the most simple, straightforward answer is, well, I asked. And yeah. you know what? What is it? James says you 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 have not because you ask not. Obviously, yeah. that can be twisted into a, a prosperity gospel thing. But I think that in a lot of cases, it's a you know simple matter of asking for what we want, including, including the collaborations that we want. And of course, we can always be told no. But as long as we're okay hearing no, then there's really not a downside to asking.
0: Right. Yeah. And and it's just um, it's just a matter of if you're gonna if you're gonna ever create anything for any length of time you're going to hear no absolutely i mean we've all heard no we've all failed we've all we've all heard yes and then seen our yeses fail yes and it's just it's just about i don't know at least for me it's about just okay well, let's on to the next thing i mean it doesn't mean i'm not creative it means that to use a baseball analogy the best hitters hit 300 that means they're hitting not 700 right they're they're failing mm-hmm. 7 out of 10 times
1: yes yeah absolutely you know being being comfortable with no is you know something that I learned from I guess it was between high school and college I had a couple of sales jobs like door to door sales jobs for Kirby vacuum cleaners and Cutco knives and you know in some ways those jobs were nightmares but in other ways it was great because I I learned you know how to be told no and not take it personally
0: yeah it's a little more difficult when it's our creative fruits and and not a Cutco knife but still
1: yeah taken more personally. But honestly yeah. that was that was a turning point for me when I was when I was working with both those companies because the products were great I still believe in Kirby vacuum cleaners and Cutco knives but a lot of times the corporate culture the incentivizations some of the sexist sleaziness that went on behind the scenes like all of that was just a huge turnoff. And, and that's why I kind of made myself a promise. I'm like if I ever go into sales again, I'm only gonna sell my own stuff, like stuff that I create, and that I can you know set the tone of the culture from beginning to end, so that was uh yeah a really helpful lesson for me
0: yeah yeah um so i I'm guessing if if you listen to this podcast uh that people are gonna like what you're doing and have probably heard your name, I'm sure um but for those who don't where can uh, where can people stay in touch with you what's the best uh what's the best medium
1: if you want to um to connect with my writing mikemorel.org is the place to go and um you know it's it's writing on practical spirituality that actually works some interesting thoughts sometimes on on church history weird aspects of faith etc And I also give away a bonus chapter of my book with Father Richard where I tell my um, personal story a bit of how I came to be interested in the Trinity through one of the most intense mystical encounters I've ever had. So I write about that. It's it's an e-book giveaway that also contains some exercises, both from the book and exclusive exercises, where people can practice the presence of the Trinity together. Because the idea is that if you're you know, reflecting the image of the trinity, spirituality is not just a solo sport. It's something we can do in you know, vulnerability and, and interdependence with each other. So if folks want to grab that, it's and, and yes, you sign up to my email list if you get it, but you can unsubscribe right away. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, it's mikemorell.org forward slash bonus chapter. Um, if you are an author or a content creator and you're interested in, What we were talking about along those lines, like my publicity campaigns, you want to go to thespeakeasy.info. At thespeakeasy.info, you can find out information, if you're an author, on how to get your book promoted. And if you're a blogger or a fellow uh, podcast host, you can go on there and apply to get really awesome free review copies.
0: Cool. And I will, um, of course, link in the show notes so that um, people can just
1: click it and make it easy on them. There you go. Yes. The the law of the internet, the path of least resistance yields the most results.
0: Yes. Yes. So I just, I thank you for coming on. I love that. Um, what you're talking about when it comes to spirituality is not pie in the sky, ivory tower stuff, but it's on the ground practicality. How does it, I love the fact that you have exercises that you can do because a lot of times we theorize and we do all this, Yes. But, but how does it impact me right now? And I love that you're doing that work.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really important. It's, and it's not that I don't enjoy metaphysical speculation because I do. I think that, you know, our imaginations play a key role in all of this. But also it has to be practical because otherwise, you know, we could just be into, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons or something. And it would be a lot more interesting.
0: <laughs> or Lord of the Rings like me. There you go. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for coming on, Mike. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, awesome. It's good to be here. All right, Mike.
0: Thank you so much, Mike, uh for coming on the show. Everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um and and I'll just say this, like if there are any content creators listening to this show, uh if there's any writers, videographers, um artists, musicians, or 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 bloggers who want to review work that content creators are Uh, putting out there, I would encourage you to go to Mike's website. It'll be linked in the show notes. It's thespeakeasy.info. But make it easy, right? Just click that link in the show notes and uh, reach out to Mike and see if it's a fit. Um, See if it'll work for you. See if um, what he's going to be offering, at least get the package, right? At least get the, you know, the, the information on what he can offer and uh see if it's a good fit for you and if it's not it's not no hard feelings uh, but if it is great and uh tell mike i sent you because um i'm a narcissist <laughs> no i'm hoping i'm hoping mike uh, could do some work for, uh, with me so if you tell him i sent you then uh it works out better for uh, for all of us so uh do that and uh, and i again i hope you enjoyed the conversation with him um we, we also have more guests coming up, as I said, in the opening. So we've been on this run. We had Jason Elam. We had Ralph Palendo. We have had now Mike Morell, And coming up next week is Brenda Marie Davies. And if you have not heard of her, you are going to want to go over to the God is Gray YouTube channel and subscribe because she is killing it over there. Uh, she's like over 110,000 subscribers. Listen to her episode on Heretic Happy Hour. Um, super excited to uh, to talk to her next time, and um, and then we've got we've got the the friendly atheist. So we're gonna have a good time talking to him. Um, he has got it has to be one of the most popular blogs on Pathos. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to have that conversation. So I'm super stoked for all the guests we have coming up. Uh, I think I might, I think I landed uh, Kristen Dume of uh, the the author of Jesus and John Wayne. So we could talk about toxic masculinity and um, white evangelicalism and uh, her book covers all that kind of stuff. So uh, really rolling into the holiday season with uh, on a, on an up note. So that's good. And then next 2021, we can let it go to shit again. <laughs> Just kidding, y'all. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Again, patreon.com slash MJ Distefano if, uh, if you want to help be a producer of this show by shelling out a buck a month. It's really not a lot. And I'm giving you a lot. I've got books over there for you. I've got videos over there. You've got exclusive access to stuff that um, you know the common plebs aren't going to get. You feel me? Um, damn, that's my phone. Always fucking things up. Who be texting me right now? Anyway, peace and love. Have a good week. Do something kind for someone. Bye.